uh, just jump in and finish up. I, I flew over the last point, so I thought I'll go ahead and hit that again uh, tonight and uh, d- dive a little deeper into the Christmas aspects of chapter 2 and uh, touch on those four points a little bit further. Because um, those are good points, and I and uh, it wasn't appropriate either to get dive too deep. Hey, Lindsay. Uh, dive too deep on, uh, on that. So... Um, in the time I had this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we will look at that in earnest. Luke chapter 2, and uh, Jeff, be praying for Jeff. He's uh, he's not feeling well tonight, so he had to leave and uh, go home, but we can, I'll get into the prayer request here once we're off the, off the air, so to speak. And, uh, and so I want to just talk about that the point that we covered this morning, peace uh, is no problem for the faithful, and that's a really that's a message unto itself. I wanted to slow roll a little bit and take some time and and uh, meditate a little deeper on some of this that I flew over this morning. So Luke chapter two, we'll start in verse uh, in verse eight, and uh, we'll go from there. You guys know the story of Luke chapter two, um, uh, <clears throat> and so. Let's start in verse 1. I'll go ahead and just start in verse 1. We'll read down through verse uh, verse 19 to start with. So it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that they should uh, be delivered. And should be, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Very, pretty familiar to this point. <coughs> and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. <clears throat> For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, and ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. <clears throat> and all they which that, that heard... It wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to meet and to be in your word. And uh, Lord, I just, again, I want to just touch on this passage. Lord, help us see things and behold things in your word that are just uh, tremendous principles that we can live by. Uh, help us to marvel at your at your incarnation and uh, your the fact that you died and have resurrected and ascended and, and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for uh, the song we just sang, Go Tell on the Mountain. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we would, like the shepherds, go tell it and go tell the story of Jesus everywhere we go. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning our first point um, uh, I was talking about in regard to peace is no problem for the faithful. I I taught that finding peace is not a problem for those who are are faithfully watching. And... um, you know, what's interesting is this, this event in Luke chapter 2 happens, as I mentioned this morning, probably a couple of years before the wise men showed up. They didn't show up immediately. A lot of the, I didn't get into that this morning, but a lot of those manger scenes that you have, you know, you have the wise men. We used to actually have one somewhere around here that they put up and somewhere got taken down. I'm glad because I was always like, because biblically, that's just not how it went down. There was not, you know, Jesus, the, the, the wise men were not hanging out at the manger. Um, that's a good story. It's not what we see in the Bible. So uh, the wise men came later uh, as Jesus was a young child. So uh, as we saw from Herod, Herod thought two and under. So he was toddling around probably anywhere from three months old to to two years old, somewhere in that range. And uh, we don't know the exact date, so there's no sense in arguing about it. But we know Herod also died. Probably that, that range can be debated too between... 3 B.C. to 180 um, in that time period that Jesus, uh, right after the wise men showed up, ended up going down to to, uh, Egypt like we saw this morning. So long before the wise men of the east arrived in Jerusalem to find the Messiah, God already revealed himself to these guys who weren't even looking for him. And there's no doubt about it. These shepherds were, they had no idea what was going on. (laughs) They were just hanging out, you know, taking care of their sheep on the hillside. And what's really interesting about them is uh, when I think about this, uh, of course, in verse 4 of the text, it deals with Joseph. You know, they had to go, they had to go from Galilee, which is north, uh, all the way down to Bethlehem which is south of Jerusalem, and um, and that is the area of Nazareth, of course, and that's uh, Bethlehem, uh, and, they, and they went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So they're in David's city, prophetically. Of course, David has the, has the uh, prophecy that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that through his seed, there will be a king that will never die, right? Well, of course, they go to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, and that's where Jesus is born, of course, fulfilling that prophecy. And it literally is the fulfillment of the prophecy to David. He is the king that will never die. He's from everlasting, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. We ended with that this morning, and we started with that this morning. And so, and so uh, Bethlehem, uh, what did, what did, let me ask you this. What did David do in Bethlehem, if that's where he was from initially? When we see him in the Old Testament, what was he doing? Yeah, he was a shepherd. He was a low, and of the shepherds in his family, he was the lowliest, right? So when Samuel came to anoint him, anoint it, well, not, he came to anoint him, but nobody believed that they would anoint. He wasn't even there. He was tending his sheep, 
And then when later on, when David went to fight Goliath, um, he initially didn't go to fight Goliath. He went to bring food for his brothers and get a word and bring a message back to Dad. And uh, and then his brother, once he started getting a little fired up over Goliath, and uh, you know making all these claims against God's property, uh, and, and started causing problems, his eldest brother Eliab says, "Go back and deal with those few sheep, David. Get out of here. Go deal with your few sheep, right? Because he was just a little shepherd boy." So they thought. Um, and it's really cool how God chose these shepherds in Bethlehem, the same hills that David once, you know, killed a lion and a bear, right? So these were, these hills were, these were the same hills that King David was frequenting as a boy, taking care of his sheep and tending to his sheep and come out of the, he was a lowly shepherd boy. And God pulled him out of the sheep coat, right? And made him the king of Israel and gave him all these promises. And so just that in itself is worth preaching on. That'll preach all day long. And uh, it's amazing to think about that. But what were they doing when they got there? Well, they were tending the sheep. Now, like Herod, they were ignorant uh, of his arrival. Unlike Herod, they were willing to receive the message. Right, and so and so, God chose these humble, uh, the most humble society to to reveal the greatest gift. You think about that; that's amazing. He didn't come to the chief priests. He didn't come to the scribes. He didn't show up to Herod and say, "Hey, I'm God. I'm here." You know, you think he didn't do that. He chose the most humble people, and that in itself is exciting because when you think about the gospel that we preach, uh, man, we need to take it everywhere to everyone because you never know who's going to receive it. It's going to well, will be received in the humble of heart. Now, just because someone comes from a, a bad socio economic background does not mean that they're going to receive the gospel. But these guys were faithful men, watching over their sheep by night in the same hills that David did. And so the chief shepherd is going to reveal to them the Lamb of God. And so uh, we already saw the text, but if you look back in verse 8, that's what it says they were doing. They were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so a lot of people think Jesus was born December uh, 25th, but that's, that's probably the most unlikely date. Uh, based on the calendar, it's most unlikely. Uh, he was probably born in September, October. But, um, you know, you're not, they're, they're, by the way, the temperature in Bethlehem is about like it is here. So it's not very likely that you're going to be out with your sheep in the middle of December anyway, just, just on the calendar, unless it's just unusually warm, you know, Indian summer like we're having now where we have a few 70 degree days. So it's not entirely impossible. So if somebody is really hardcore on December 25th, you know, let them have it. It's not worth fighting over because God hasn't made it so clear that we know. We don't really know the exact date. But based on the fee cycle, based on, uh, there's so many evidences. Uh, that would put Jesus in the fall uh, with the feasts of uh, tabernacles. That that it would it would it was it doesn't make any sense actually for it to be uh, in December 25th. Although technically it could be, but when you look at the cycle of uh, the priesthood for um, uh, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, as well, and and the, and probably when. He conceived uh, John the Baptist, and then the, the nine months from that, and then when Jesus, all those other things. There's so many things that point back to pulling that day back. So they're out in the field. They're staying up all night in the field, you know, obviously taking care of the sheep, and uh, and uh, they're keeping watch. And that was the point I pointed out this morning, is that they were they were faithful in watching, right? Now, they weren't watching for Jesus, but they were tending to the sheep. They were taking care of their business, and uh, God blessed that, and, and, and he revealed to them uh, this... This incredible information. Now it says the angel 
Uh, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Um, and there's a lot I could say about that, uh, just the fact that when an angel shows up, you know, you notice they're sore afraid. And this in particular, uh, angel of the Lord, seven of them fear not. So the first thing he tells them is you don't have to fear. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to the nation of Israel. Now, he didn't actually say the nation of Israel. He said to all people. All right, so all people get in on this great good news. Jesus coming to, to uh, his people Israel is good news for all people because it fulfills what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus later that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, for unto us, or unto you, I'm sorry, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, we saw uh, later on in the text this morning. Uh, when I was preaching on this, that uh, that Zechariah, or I mean uh, S- Simeon, when he sees Jesus, he says in verse 30, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And I mentioned last week that Jesus' name means salvation. And so God has this thing set up that when you see Jesus, the name Jesus literally means salvation. And and so uh, he, is, he is salvation. He is the Savior. And so, uh, and so, <clears throat> he is also the Christ. What's what's Christ mean? What's the word Christ mean? What's another word for Christ that we use? Yeah, Messiah. So when you hear the word, you know, we always say Lord Jesus Christ. What we're really saying, Christ is Messiah. He is the promise. He's the promised one. So we actually use that in English all the time too. We use Christ and Messiah, but that's he's the one that was promised. And and so, uh, and then of course as we as he gets down there, and there's suddenly there's an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men." And so his his uh, <clears throat> the glory is the, is what it's all about. Glory to God on the highest, but on earth, right? God's in heaven, but on earth there's peace and goodwill toward men. And so that's really the thing that my whole sermon is based on. I didn't get a chance to really park on it this morning for time's sake, so I thought I'd come back and hang on the rim here a little. But every I, I've chosen these certain passages because every time you kind of look at these instances where the announcement of Christ is coming, um, whether it's in Isaiah 9, 6, or right here, uh, and then later on, uh, further down the text of verse 14, or in, in verse 14 here, it deals with peace on earth. Now, right now, there isn't peace on earth. And actually, at Christ's coming, there wasn't peace on earth. So the peace that is on earth, it's found in Christ. It, you know, Herod was still Herod. Um, he was probably murdering people when this was, was going on. I mean, that guy was ruthless. He was a terrible person. And so the Romans were definitely, you know, they weren't, they weren't backing off their war machine either. And so uh, peace was on earth, but not everybody was participating in peace. And frankly, that's how it is today. And there should be a distinction between us and the world. And if one thing that should set us apart, it's peace. Now, when you look, uh, if you just, you know, go and look at, if you don't already have it memorized, in Galatians chapter 5, one of the things that is, is should be manifest in our life, along with the other eight things, is is peace. But in, uh, in Galatians 5.22, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and the third thing is peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So, love, joy, and peace, those things reside from within. 
And those are the three. Those things should come. Uh, those come from the Lord. We have peace on earth because Christ is in us. This world has peace in it right now. Where there is peace, it's not because of the United Nations. It's not because of strong military forces, although there is a truth in having uh, peace and security, but that's a whole other issue. Um, not the world's peace. The peace that, that the world really needs is the peace that comes from God's Spirit. And that resides in the, in the individual believer through the Spirit of God and in the work of the church. And so the reason that there is peace, and there's been a peace in like our nation here, is because of the Spirit of God working through the people of God, even a remnant of God's people. That's what brings true peace and is evident. Uh, that's, what, that's, that's why when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see these martyrs going to the stake or going to the whatever to get drowned in the river, whatever they're going to do to them. And they have this incredible peace that passes understanding because that's the peace of God. So what, they, what do you think is going to happen when God takes us out of here? Yeah, they're going to say peace and safety, but sudden destruction will come upon them. That's what it says in in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 24. And that's what's indicated in Revelation chapter 6, right? There's a, a white horse rider in Revelation 6-2 that comes in. And then what follows? Four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So the event of war that the war machine cranks up as this man of peace steps on the stage, what happens? War happens. Why is that? Well, in part it happens because the Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, the very representation of Christ's Spirit in a physical manifestation on the earth is the church. And we get taken up. So, that's an interesting thing to consider as well. So, God gave these watchful, humble shepherds the knowledge and the access to the Lamb of God laying in the manger. And the Scripture says that after seeing Mary and Joseph, they made it known abroad that this child was born in Bethlehem. And I didn't have a chance to really talk at length about that this morning either. In verse 15, it says, It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And I love the way verse 15 just, just is so... It's so raw and it's so real. And it's so exactly the way it ought to be when we come to faith in Christ. When God reveals Jesus to us, I don't know about y'all, but when I got saved, I was just, I'm like, man, I got to go tell everybody. I was so stupid. I just thought if someone heard the gospel, they would receive the gospel. I was like the Magi coming over to those, those wise men coming to Herod thinking, well, if I just talk about Jesus, they're going to be ready to receive him, you know, just like I was, you know. And uh, I didn't really think about who I was before I got saved. And so these guys, they hear about the news and they immediately want to go tell everybody. First they want to see it and then they want to go tell everybody. And man, that is how we ought to be. We ought to desire to, to be with Jesus and to tell people about Jesus. Even more so as you see the Lord appro- the day of the Lord approaching. Amen. And so, uh, let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. So they want to see Jesus. And then verse 16, and they came with haste. They didn't mess around. Man, they got there. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So once they saw him, they shared him. And that's one of the reasons that we do discipleship here at this church is we want people to see Jesus in the Word of God because once you see Him in the Word, you'll share Him, right? you got to see Him before you share Him. If you don't see Him, you're not going to share Him. Uh, I, I see that all the time. I see it with people that are in our church. They just kind of come and go through the motions and they, they like to maybe hear the preaching or whatever, 
but they don't actually have time in the Word of God where they're looking and they're digging and they're seeing Jesus, the more you see Jesus in the Word, the more you're going to share Him. It's not going to be motivated because I'm preaching or some other guy's preaching or teaching or gal's teaching discipleship alone. God doesn't use all that, don't get me wrong. And that's important because we're here to edify and, and build up. But there has to be this element where we actually put our, our personal investment in the Word. And once we, we make haste and make that a priority, man, it just opens you up and you just can't help but want to share it with everybody. And that's 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 cooking with gas. That's where we ought to be living. And so I already touched on that this morning. I about that. So and so uh, and so they, they wanted to tell everybody and it says and they and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So in verse eighteen, I touched on that lightly this morning. Everyone that did hear it did wonder about it. So this wasn't like somebody they were just sharing it and nobody was listening. Everyone that heard it was like, what are they talking about? I'm sure some people were like, oh, they're crazy. Some people were probably like, oh, it could be. You know, is that true? What happened over there in Bethlehem? Who are Who is this couple? Who is that baby? I mean, I'm sure they're thinking about it. And like I said, that news resonated past Bethlehem. I think, I don't remember the, how far it is. Uh, does anybody know how far it is from Bethlehem to Jerusalem? I think it's like 20 miles or something like that. It's not, yeah, it's like 15 or 20 miles. So it's not that far. Uh, I mean, people traverse there. There's a major trade route in Bethlehem, by the way. Crossroads. Uh, you could get to Egypt through there. You could go out to the Arabians there. You go back up to Jerusalem from there. So it's a major crossroad. It's like a little trucker town, you know. And so, uh, and so there's, this word's gonna be traveling. That this, something happened, these crazy shepherds, you know, you know how it is. You can't keep something like that quiet. Everybody's gonna hear about it. And so, they made it known abroad. So these little shepherds became masters in the coming of the Messiah to Israel. Many people wondered what they, uh, said, but if you took it to heart or paid attention, of course, as these were ignorant and unlearned men. And so, Mary, however, kept all the things in her heart. Because she knew Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And, and that's really cool. Now, this is a really a great Christmas just moment right here when you think about Christmas. But Mary kept all these things, verse 19, and pondered them in her heart. You know, I think sometimes we think Mary had it all figured out because she was the one carrying Jesus. But obviously she did not. Where did Joseph, by the way? There's a lot of this stuff they're figuring out on the fly, just like the disciples, just like us, right? And she is she is watching what's going on. She's hearing what these guys are saying. She's thinking about what she's been told. She's thinking about what Elizabeth and Zacharias have been told. She's thinking about what Joseph has been told. And she's got all of this information. So what'd she do with it? She pondered it in her heart. And uh, I tell you what, guys, that's one of the things that we uh, really do, uh, what be wise to do, take some time and meditate on the scripture today meditation right is uh, the concept of meditation in the world is to get away right to become void of of which is dangerous as all get out by the way you can open wicked stuff you do that i used to do that when i was you can get a demon if you're not careful so so don't do that don't try to find nirvana in your brain don't try to get to another place in the universe don't do that transcendental what you need to do is fill your mind. It's the opposite. Meditation with the Word of God is the 180 degree opposite of what meditation in the world is. Sitting around humming and, and with your fingers in the lotus position is not what God's asking for. What He really wants us to do is be like Mary and assimilate the information, what's going on, and meditate upon it and think upon it and think on these things, right? Think on these things. That's what we should be doing. 
That's what biblical meditation is all about. And so these lowly shepherds uh, were incredible, but so was Mary. And so if we keep Jesus' words in our heart, uh, we will have peace in the midst of our problems like Mary and Joseph. So Mary and Joseph were still in problems. Their problems aren't going away, by the way. Right? Uh, you, we already read Matthew chapter two. It doesn't get better. They have to leave. They got to flee with their with their little with Jesus's life. So just because you have the peace of God and the Word of God doesn't mean our problems go away. And they doesn't. As a matter of fact, that's why we look forward to heaven. This is not our home, right? And so the, our life to please God, and God is doing something in the redemptive work. And then, uh, man, you want to get in on it and be a part of it. And that's what Mary and Joseph were willing to do when their hearts are right as they meditate on these things. Is not a problem for those who faithfully are watching. So that was my first point. You know, it's not a problem for those who are faithfully watching. So one of the things we could be doing today, more practically, this is my first of four, so I, I'm going too slow, but, uh, is, is we need to be watching for us. What are we to be watching for? Yeah, we're to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We're to be watching in a different way. They're watching uh, for their sheep, and they were diligent in that. But we need to be watching for the Lord. And we also need to take care and watch out for one another. Watch and pray. Pray for each other. And so, if you take our, if you take like on Shelby Next, and you open, if you got Shelby Next on your phone, and you open it up and look at all the members, there's like uh, 232, I think. Um, and um, there's 200 and, this is over 200 members. There's more if you add the regular. So, take time to think about Donna is out and uh, doing something for Christmas, and Jamie, uh, he's working up at uh, up at not Sutherland's, up at Sherwin, and and um, and. Uh, I said Debbie Crawford. <laughs> You're not Debbie Crawford, um, huh? Wendy Crawford. I have a I know a Debbie Crawford that just was in my head. So Wendy, uh, she's taking care of her sons and doing her thing at the school. And you know, if it, if I just go around this room and start praying about you guys' lives, everything I know, that's a lot just with eight nine people. Um, and so when you do two hundred, it's more. But I bring that up because we're to watch for one another and to pray. And so we should be sensitive when we see, like Gawain Arnie had his surgery this week, we should be praying for Gawain that he recovers, that it works. And we see a, a brother or sister, instead of gossiping and saying, man, I hope Sister Susie doesn't do this or that, one of the better things we could do is go to the Lord with it and say, God, man, I hope you can help Sister Susie so that you can take care of her and uh, provide for her. And um, so on and so forth. So watch and pray. All right, so... Um, the second one I mentioned was in verses 21 through 35, which was Simeon, and I really flew over that. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of try to touch on a little more of that in the time we have left. It says, uh, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, uh, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a, a man in Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, and he came uh, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him, brought in the child, Jesus, uh, to uh, do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of, the, of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set up for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so up through verse 35 deals with the story of Simeon. So we find peace is not a problem for those who are faithfully waiting. Now this man, Simeon, is super faithful in waiting. He is very faithful. And so I'm just going to back up and touch on a few things. In verse 21, we see this eight days, these eight days that were accomplished for the circumcision. And we we see here that he's referencing uh, Exodus chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn back there and look at Exodus 13 and see the the text there that uh, he's referring to. Uh, In the Old Testament... God set this apart uh, for the male that, that was born. They were to be dedicated or, or sanctified. <clears throat> in, uh, in Exodus 13 and verse 2, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all thy firstborn, whatsoever openeth the, matri- the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. So he's not just talking about humans. He's talking about animals. The first fruits of thine increase is what he's talking about. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in Egypt uh, that you came out of Egypt to the house of bondage for the strength of hand of, of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This, uh, this day came you out in the month of Abib. And so... We're, we're dealing with the, the, the Passover here as well. Um, for time's sake, if you skip down to verse 12, um, let's start in verse 11. He says, And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he swear unto thee and thy fathers, and shall give it to thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of the beast which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass shalt thou redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among the children shalt thou redeem. <clears throat> Alright, so everything that was born, the firstlings of it, um, the men, the male, was to be dedicated to the Lord. So if it was your son, if it was a calf, if it was, it didn't matter. Uh, you gave the first fruit to the Lord. And and that's what they were doing. This was their first son, Jesus, and they brought him to dedicate him, and that's what's being talked about. Now, it's on the eighth day because that's after her purification. So seven days after the, the birth, uh, they took him up. On the eighth day, he was prepared to be circumcised. So that's quite a journey, by the way. Hopefully she was able to ride in a cart or on a, on a donkey or something. I don't know. She had to walk that far after having a baby. But she was young, and I'm sure she was tough, and God hopefully gave her mercy. But... Um, Whatever the case is, they made their way up to Jerusalem. And uh, eight in the Bible, what does eight represent as far as numbers? 
Dude, you're in D2. Have you covered that yet? Numbers? This is your test right now. What's seven? Yeah, completion, perfection. Eight is a new beginning. Ron, you knew that. You could have blurted that. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jamie probably knew that. Did you know that, Jamie? Did you forget? Yeah, eight's new beginning. All right. Well, good. We're learning something. So, right, numbers mean things in the Bible. So, and you see that through patterns, right? In the book of Revelation, it's all based on seven. God completed everything in seven-day creation. All right. So, you see again in in Genesis, eight is a new beginning. Uh, Eight is, is always typically a new beginning. So, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the eighth day, right? The seventh day is Saturday, the Sabbath. And Jesus resurrected on the eighth day. So, we get new life through Christ. So, you got the eighth day. So you have Jesus Christ being circumcised on the eighth day. And boy, in this case, is it is it really something? Because he is the author of life. And of course, his name Jesus was is highlighted there. Um, and he was named of the angel. So that's that was a... Uh, that was a that was a highlighted point there by the Holy Ghost in verse 21. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So he's dedicated to the Lord. He is the Lord's, and literally he is the Lord's. So this was a special moment, whether they knew it or not, whether the, the in, in Jerusalem, this was incredible. And to offer sacrifice according to that is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle does or two young pigeons. So along with dedicating the child, you bring a gift, you bring a sacrifice of two turtle doves or young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And so this guy Simeon, is uh, you see that word? He's devout. First of all, he was just, like justified. He was devout, and he was also waiting. Uh, and he, it says for the consolation. And consolation. When you think when you, someone has a consolation prize, what is that? We always think of that in a negative, negative kind of connotations. Like, oh, you get second best, you know, consolation prize. But what's what's that mean if you get a consolation prize? What are they trying to do with that? Right, it's to make you feel better, <clears throat> and and he was wanting to feel better, right? He was waiting on, on something to make him feel better, um, because he w- he was waiting on the. It says the. It's interesting the word the consolation of Israel. What's going to make Israel feel better is when their Messiah comes. And I alluded to it this morning. They were they just as a nation they were nationalistic. They hated the Romans, and they hated the oppressive government, and yet. God was able to uh, have faithful people like Simeon available to to really wait and be devout and just believing what the Word of God said. Again, I believe Simeon was probably reading Daniel, Daniel's seventieth week, and and uh, Daniel ten, eleven, twelve. He knew what was what time it was, and he was waiting for God to bring comfort in this distressed situation that Israel was under. And that's really what con- consolation is. When you uh, later on in Acts, you, you meet Barnabas. He's called the son of consolation, and he was a, he brought comfort. Right, he encouraged. Uh, he was an exhorter, and so uh, this guy was—he was a guy that was wanting encouragement, and he's also a guy who was encouraging. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he shall see the Lord's Christ. 
say, you know what? That's every one of us. Um, we might physically die, but we're never going to die spiritually because once you get saved, you never die. We're going to see Christ. And, uh, of course, we're never going to die. He died physically. Uh, we could die physically, but we may not. We might get caught up in the rapture before that time. But upon arriving in Jerusalem, as God's providence would have it, they happened upon a man who had been waiting for the Messiah, and he was devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the promised Messiah. uh, Isaiah 40, look over at Isaiah 40, this prophecy about comfort. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 1 and 2. Some of these prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah are mind-blowing because Jesus, all of a sudden, God just says, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to talk to everybody in the earth." earth. He didn't always do that. He was talking to Israel he has a specific message, but sometimes he talks to everybody. In this passage, he says, "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people," saith God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. And cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what is Simeon waiting for? He is waiting for the day when the judgment of Israel is over and the blessing of Israel will come. And he rightly saw that blessing in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Christ. And he saw that and said, yes finally have the blessing here in Jerusalem. Specifically, this prophecy in Isaiah is dealing with uh, speaking comfortably to Jerusalem, right? And so this all was going down in Jerusalem. When Jesus shows up, this, in part, this prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Uh, notice, by the way, verse 3. Somebody read verse 3 out loud real quick. And uh, just loud, as loud as you can over the air conditioner and everything else, or the heater. And... Uh, No, uh, yeah, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Yeah, John the Baptist, that's right, somebody got that. So, isn't that interesting? So you see a prophecy, first of comfort, comfort in Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 2, you see you see a man named Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the judgment to be over, and, well, the Prince of Peace to come. Salvation to arrive. Jesus Christ is salvation. And, uh, and that's what he even says in Luke chapter 2 and uh, in his proclamation there. And, and he blesses God and said, Lord, now, verse 29, Now let thou thy servant depart according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation and has prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. Now let me just pause right there and to directly tie that into what we do as we preach the gospel. I mean, literally, we are the hope of the world. Uh, the church is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And the world's only going to see Jesus if the church takes him where he needs to go on time. And so we bring the consolation right now. It's an amazing to share him with the world, literally. And we do that to the best of our ability. And so that's a cool passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And then you see verse 3, which really fast-forwards you to Luke chapter 3 when we get to the public ministry of Jesus, right? You go straight to, to uh, one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, uh, And so Simeon was the fulfillment of Scripture as he proclaimed at the temple salvation of Israel had appeared. In Luke chapter 2, as he proclaims that, he sees the salvation and this is, now interestingly enough, in verse 32 he says he's a light to light the Gentiles. And so I wanted to mention this, I didn't to do it this morning. 
But it is apparent this morning, Matthew chapter 2, with these wise men coming from the east. Who are they? They're Gentiles. Right? A light has appeared, and the Gentiles are coming. Literally, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Even though Herod can't see it, even though Mary and Joseph don't really get what's going on, probably Simeon himself, though he gets it in concept, doesn't know he doesn't know what's going on, that there's someone loading up over here in the east, and they're heading in to see Jesus Christ, because he's the light of the world. All of these things are being orchestrated, because, well, Jesus Christ is here. He it's amazing when you put all the passages together and see what was going on. Uh, it's just... So finding peace is not a problem for those who are watching and waiting on the, the Word of God to be fulfilled. Thirdly, we already saw Anna this morning, and I won't take a lot of time with her, but I like Anna, uh, the the widow down in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophet of the tribe of Asher. Uh, it says Aser, but that's Asher. It's Greek. It's Aser, and in, in, uh, in Hebrew, it's Asher. She was of Greek, uh, was of great age, and had lived with a husband seven years from her. Identity. So she was a virgin that married, and in seven years she was widowed after being married for seven years. And she, uh, it's debatable. Some say she lived eighty-four years as a widow. Uh, others say she, you know, she was whatever seventy-some years as a widow. Um, and, you know, obviously she had to be 17, 18, whatever she was before she married. And that gets into the math I was running this morning. But whatever the case, she was an older lady that had been widowed for quite some time. And uh, was at least 40 years old. And so she, was, she served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Right? She was so faithful. And she was a widow indeed, as Paul calls him in the New Testament. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they uh, returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon them. Alright, so Anna, uh, she's, she's hearing all that Simeon had to say offers a song of praise from her heart and lips as she prays God for uh, salvation and the redemption of Israel. And so uh, and so, finding peace is not a problem for those who are watching and waiting. So, Anna also, is, uh, um, there's another type here. I don't have the note in my Bible, but uh, I'll just skip over that. So the last thing I saw was the people, was of course what we already dealt with this morning, which I did do in pretty good detail dealing with the wise men that came uh, from the east. There is much more I could say about them as well and the star that they followed and all of those things, but uh, I'm not going to do that for time's sake because we are well out of time. And uh, so uh, with that, that is a little bit deeper dive on the text that we had this morning as we were focusing on those, uh, those aspects of uh, finding that peace is not a problem for those who are faithfully watching, like the shepherds, who those who are faithfully serving, uh, like Simeon, those who are faithfully um, seeking, wait a minute, I missed one, waiting, uh, like Simeon, faithfully serving, like Anna, and faithfully uh, faithfully seeking, like the wise men. All right, so watching, uh, waiting, serving, and seeking, watching, the, the four aspects, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter that that uh, the guys that did not know anything about what was going on, God went ahead and revealed it to him anyway because he's good. 
you know, and and uh, and then there's others that were waiting and ready for Jesus to come, and so people in all kinds of different places of spiritual development. You do notice the elderly people were more aware of what God was doing than the young the younger people that were out in the fields doing the work uh, because time, right, and, and difficulties. They had already made their decision what their life was about and, uh, and they set their affections and things above other things of this earth. And if there's anything that we can really learn for us in Colossians chapter 2 is to make sure we do set our affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. At Christmas time, there's so much commercialism today and it's so far away from what's really important. I pray that, uh, you know, we're different when it comes to Christmas. Not that, you know, you don't have to do away with your Christmas tree and uh, you don't have to go burn all the, you know, your gifts or anything like that. Praise God, it's good to give and be gracious. But at the same time, we don't want to replace Christ with commercialism. We want to make sure Christ is the reason for the season and we honor Him in that. Amen? Amen. That's my word for the day from Luke chapter 2. So I want to, I'm going to go ahead and pray and then I'm going to hand out the prayer pieces and turn off my recorder. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come tonight. I pray a blessing in the reading and hearing of your word. Uh, we want to pray for Jeff True tonight and I uh, want to pray for... Um, uh, uh, oh, not Seth Yandel, but uh, uh, Thomas Stukes, that uh, he's usually here on Sunday nights. Uh, pray for uh, 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 Nico Van Niekirk. Lord, we ask that, Lord, you bring these young men and get them discipled and growing in the Lord. Thank you for these that are here tonight. Pray, Lord, a blessing on the reading, the hearing, and application of your word. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to picking up uh, Timothy again when we get back together. Uh, after Christmas, and we just uh, thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.